0: You know, it's, a, it's a beautiful day today, isn't it? And, and one thing that's pretty fun to do on a day like this is go golfing. And so, uh, Jesus, Moses, and another guy went golfing one day, and uh, ha, you know, that'd be a, a tough a tough. Uh, group to golf with, wouldn't it? So Moses is the first up, and he gets to the tee box, and he hits a ball, and man, it is just a beautiful drive. Straight, far, right down the fairway. Uh, they're playing a tough course, though, and so at the end of the fairway, there is a large water hazard, and there's a hill bleeding down to it. And so they, you know, Moses hits his ball. It starts running down this hill, and so but for Moses, no problem, right? He just lifts his arms up, and two clubs, of course, and so the waters of the water hazard part, and he his ball rolls through on dry ground. The other side, perfect shot, right? And so then Jesus gets up, same thing. Man hits a ball just straight down the fairway, beautiful shot, uh, a little farther than Moses. So the problem is, is his ball is goes right on the water hazard. But again, he's Jesus, no problem, right? The ball is hovering over the water, so Jesus walks on the water, hits the ball, nice chip shot right up on the green, lands at two feet from the cup. It is just a perfect shot. Um, and, and so the other guy gets up and hits a shot, and this one is a monster. In fact, it's so big, he hits it out of the golf course. It goes over the fence, it goes into traffic, it hits a semi, uh, bounces off the semi, hits a house, uh, hits a house's a roof, rolls down the roof, rolls into the gutter, rolls down the downspout, and then onto the ground. And just then, there's a bullfrog there, picks it up in his mouth, and then as that happens, an eagle comes by, swoops down, picks him up, and flies him away uh, out over some trees and and such, and then flies him back into the golf course, right over the green, and he drops the ball down into the cup, and it's a beautiful hole in one. And Moses looks with disgust to Jesus and says, man, I hate playing with your dad. You know, it's just, it's awful. But anyway, I wouldn't want to play with them golfing either. But this morning, we're continuing our series. We're talking about Moses. And that's a true story, by the way. No, we're talking about Moses. uh, uh, And our series is Against All Odds. And we're talking about how God can use someone who is average like Moses to do extraordinary things. And this morning, we are, we've come to a place in the story. It's a pretty tough place. Again, we're, we're walking through this kind of story by story. We've come today to the edge of one of the most difficult portions of Scripture in the Old Testament that, that there are. We're coming this morning to the plagues. Now, we are not going to blow through this. We're not going to just pass by this. It's a tough part of Scripture, but we're going to go through this today because there is a lesson to learn even from the plagues, right? And we're going to look at this this morning. And so, if you would, open your Bibles to... Uh, to, 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 uh, to uh, uh, wow, just lost my, my train of thought through Exodus, chapter 7. And, and Moses is here on the edge of, of, of this plagues. And we, we find him there, and I'll, I'll never forget... Back in 2005, watching uh, on my TV, watching Hurricane Katrina come through. It was incredible. You probably remember that if you were alive then or you were around back then. You probably remember as good as I do the devastation and the, the water and the people that were suffering. And just It was a difficult, difficult time to be down in that part of the world. In fact, it struck me so much that my wife and I went on a bus and took a bus, with another church, down to uh, New Orleans, we served down there for about a week and a half, and I got to help at a church, and it was it was cool. Uh, my my wife and I were on two different teams. I was on uh, the, the the this church team, construction team, and uh, we were supposed to eat MREs, but uh, these ladies were like, "You're not eating out. Y'all ain't eating that here in my place." And I can't do it, but so they made us this amazing Southern Creole kind of food it was. So good, my wife's team had to eat MREs every day, and I came back and told her every day about my dinner, just because that's the kind of guy that I am. But um, no, it was, it was an, an amazing experience to see what God, uh, what could happen. And, and, and you might remember, though, uh, in our country, there was a big conversation at a time when, when Pat Robertson came out and said, this was the judgment of God. And there was many voices in the Christian world that said, this is God's judgment on the United States of America or on Louisiana or on, or on New Orleans. And it was a big, big deal. And people were either agreeing on that or they were disagreeing on that. But it became and started a conversation in our nation that it seems to happen every time a terrible thing happens, Right? Every time there's a tsunami, every time there's a a hurricane or or whatever else, you will hear somebody talk about how this is God's judgment on the planet, right? You'll hear that at times. And I've even had it as as a pastor. People ask me the question, you know, things are are bad in their life. And they're saying, is this God's judgment on my life? And and that's where we find Moses today, on the edge of the moment where this is about to take place. Again, Exodus chapter 7 that's where, that's where he's at. He's at the plagues. And God is a God of big-time mercy and love. He, he's, it's big-time. But it's also clear in Scripture that there are times when God does bring judgment on rebellion. You can't brush by those things. Old and New Testament, there's times when God brings rebellion. Now, here's the deal. There are many differing opinions on judgment, aren't there? There's many differing ideas on what this is. There's statements and opinions and questions on the mechanics of God's judgment. How does it work? And and so it's important for us to understand God's word and not opinions, right? Maybe you've had them before. You've seen on Facebook or you've had someone forward you an email with some preacher that's talking about God's judgment, and it's pretty angry, and it's pretty fiery, or, or whatever, and maybe it's true, maybe it's not, I, I don't know, but, but it's important for us to consult God's word on judgment, and not just someone's opinion, amen? So this morning, the important question we got to ask before we jump into our, our text today is, what's God's history concerning judgment? What's God's history? How has he done this? And so I've come up with today three principles from the Old Testament and New Testament of of God's history, is actual action towards, towards judgment. The first one is when it's a judgment of God, you don't have to wonder, was that the judgment of God? It is clear with what happens. For example, in Sodom and Gomorrah, Nobody had to say, was that God's judgment? I, gotta, I better find a, a video on YouTube and see if that was. It was clear that it was ju- God's judgment. Genesis chapter 19 says, this is a supernatural occurrence. Fire is raining from the heavens. That's pretty supernatural, amen? With Noah, uh, Noah had an absolutely supernatural flood that covered the earth. No one wondered, was that God's judgment? It was very, very clear. Jericho, and the walls came down, and, and it was incredible what, how it happened and how it worked. Uh, you know, the people of God march around the walls, and, and that usually doesn't make things happen unless uh, someone who can't sing is singing. But anyway, so they're, they're marching around the walls, and they come down. It's supernatural. Even in the book of Acts, with Ananias and Sapphira, who were struck dead because they lied to God in the church, and and, you know, lying's not good and, and such. And that's a whole other, sec- whole other message for another day. But we see here, there's no question how this works. See, when it's actually God's judgment, you don't have to consult a forwarded email to say, was this God's judgment? There's no question. Which brings us to point number two. see, when God's judgment comes, he provides a way of safety for the faithful. Provides a way of safety. Again, the flood. Uh, Mo- N- 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 Noah's family uh, was, was, was able to go. It was the wicked who died. Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family were able to leave the cities. So I'm going to go through this fast today. Uh, but in Revelation, it's clear in Revelation that uh, God will provide a way out for those who are believers. You know, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever kind of trip you want to talk about, you know, it's clear from Revelation God will provide a deliverance and a shield and a protection for the faithful. You see, God's judgment is not, it's not indiscriminate. God doesn't miss, right? He doesn't have a shotgun and just... That's not how God works. He is far bigger and far greater than that. And so God This brings us to the final principle... Judgment is the last resort after his message of repentance and grace has been ignored. Now, this is where we have to really hone in here for those people that might like judgment a little bit, which believe me or not does happen. We have to realize this morning that, and this should influence our thinking on judgment. God hates judgment. He hates it. It's clear from Ezekiel 33 where he says, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. That passage should influence our thinking on what judgment is and what it's not. That passage should influence how we think about judgment. And again, Scripture's pattern shows us this happens with Noah, who built an ark. And you'd think the people would be like, why is he building an ark? That guy's nuts. But he's preaching the gospel, and they had years of opportunity to turn around. Second Peter describes Noah as a preacher of righteousness through all his years. King Saul, who for all his faults, King Saul was given so many chances to turn his heart, wasn't he? King Saul was given those chances in Gomorrah. They had an opportunity to repent and they denied. There's an example where this worked out well when, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach repentance. Of course, Jonah didn't want to go. Uh, Jonah you know, was scared of them and, and whatever else, but he went because God made him go and, and he went. And of course, if you know the story, you know that, that Jonah, when he, when he preached the word, that the people of Nineveh turned around, didn't they? And God's judgment was saved. And so this is not a thing that God wants to see happen. So what bugs me is, is judgment fans, right? People, you know, there's fans of the Twins and the Vikings and stuff. And you have fans of judgment. There's Christians that are like, man, you know deep down in their heart, they just seem to like judgment, right? You know the kind of people? That bugs me. I got two little kids and they're in the stage right now where when one of them messes up, the other one... Has this little grin on her face that drives me nuts. You know what I'm talking about? This little grin that she's like, when her sister messes up, the other one's like, Daddy, I didn't do that. You know, and I'm like, Okay, before you weren't in trouble, now you are because that drives me crazy. I know you didn't do it. See, judgment fans are kind of like that. There's not those Christians, let's be honest, who, who, you know, who need to grow up a little bit and they need to realize that this is not God's desire and God's way and God's plan. It should break our hearts that at times judgment is necessary. Our response to judgment should be less, much less like, you're going to get what's yours someday and I'm going to make sure God knows it wasn't me It's doing this, to God. I plead on their behalf. Lord, change their hearts. Lord, make it so that judgment doesn't have to happen. That is our response to judgment in the world. Amen? That's the response of people that not not know as Christians anyway. So to sum it up, that's what happens when God judges evil. Moses is here at the precipice of this moment happening. He He has heard God speak at the burning bush. He was told that it is now time for the people to be released from slavery and delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. Let's read in verse 1 of chapter 7 here, and it says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You'll speak to all that all I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. I'm going to to pause there for a minute. Because there's people out there that say, well, this is why I don't believe in God. Because he's a vindictive, angry, terrible God that I want nothing to do with. You see, here's the deal. They'll they'll see us say, Pharaoh had no choice. God hardened his heart. So what's the deal? you got to realize that there's a balance between God's all-knowing character and God's completely loving and gracious character. That we don't see how those mesh, but in God's world, they mesh perfectly. God knows what's coming. God knows the future, but yet God still, in his grace and mercy, gives Pharaoh the chance to turn. That is huge. Because if I'm God and I know what's happening, I'm going to say, let's just pass all this stuff. Pharaoh, you're done. Finish finish it off, right? That's not what God does. God, in his infinite grace and mercy, begins to speak to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. that They've got to pay attention. They've got to listen up because something is about to take place. But God knew, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the people of Israel out from among them. Of course, this happens. We see it as we begin to read. This happens in the form of plagues. Ten things we're going to blow through quickly today, but it was not fast for them. For them, this was a long period of time. But you've got to realize that it is a time that God was trying to get their attention and speak to them. They wouldn't listen before. So now they're going to listen this way, and so the Bible continues here, verse 16. He says, you'll say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they will serve me in the wilderness, but so far you've not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you'll know that I am the Lord. With the staff that's in my hand, I'll strike the water that's in this Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile shall stink, and the Egyptians shall grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Now, You read that, you think, okay, you know, I, I, was, I was warned about this, now I, I see it happening. This this man of God who, you know, I mean, he, he, he is what he is, you cannot listen to him for a while, but once this actually happens, I'd be like, okay, I get it, God, maybe you are real, and so... I'm not going there. If I see the water turn to blood, I'm going to probably let go. Amen? But see, this is this is different here. Pharaoh didn't do this. He held on. so, uh, verse 2 of chapter 8 says that frogs covered the lands. Now, frogs aren't so bad, but just to kind of get a picture of this, this week I bought three million frogs. So, ushers, go ahead and get those boxes ready. We're going to cover the room with frogs today so you kind of see what's... what's go ahead, go ahead, guys. Get the... Get, Just kidding. They're not really doing that today. But you know, frogs—they're not so bad, are they? But imagine frogs everywhere. Okay, imagine you get in the morning, there's a frog in your coffee cup. Uh, There's a frog in your cereal box. You know, imagine going to bed at night. You know, you get under those nice clean sheets, and there's ten frogs down there, and they're jumping around and bouncing around. That's how it was. Not destructive. This isn't necessarily particularly, you know, dangerous. It's just super crazy annoying, right? There are frogs everywhere in the lands. And God is speaking to this and saying, the longer this takes, the longer this lasts, the worse it's going to get, but you still have time. You still have time to walk away. You still have time to repent. What if Pharaoh would have said, okay, I've seen the red, now I've seen the frogs, Maybe I need to pay attention here. Some people don't seem to get it. Pharaoh was one of those people. And so Pharaoh, but he got the message first. So in verse 8, Pharaoh calls Moses and, and, and says, plead your God, take the frogs away, and I'll let you go, he, he says. And then as soon as the frogs are gone, he changes his mind and won't let the people go. And so it continues. Verse 16, he says, The Lord says to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. But it may become gnats in the land of Egypt. Now here in Minnesota, we can kind of understand this, this plague because we have mosquitoes, right? And, and so we have lots of them. It feels at times like that's what happened here, doesn't it? Maybe we're being judged for something. I don't know, but it feels like that like that happened, but of course it didn't really happen. Imagine that all of the dust, all the dust in your house, all the dust. On the ground, the dust that's around, all of a sudden instantly is struck up and becomes gnats. That is straight up nasty, right? There's clouds of gnats. You're wiping gnats off your face, you're breathing them in. You can't go any place without gnats. Disgusting, isn't it? Not not harmful, not destructive, but pretty gross, pretty disgusting. And so, so here you go, you got this situation here, but still, Pharaoh refuses to listen. So then comes verse 21 of of chapter 8, and there becomes a dense swarm of flies everywhere. The the ante just got upped. Now, I I used to live in metro Detroit. If you've been there before, especially to the west side of metro Detroit, uh, around Lake St. Clair, there is a plague there. and It's called the Plague of Fish Flies. Every May, there are millions and millions of fish flies that hatch at the same time, and this is what happens. I remember years ago, I was at a park on Lake St. Clair in the middle of May, and I thought, this is how it had to feel in the plagues. Because you could see clouds flying around. In the lights, there's literally white clouds around them. Your house is covered in fish flies. You have to take a power washer and wash them off of your house. No joke. They are everywhere. That is disgusting. So again, not particularly dangerous. But here we have this large amount, clouds of flies. And after this happens, Pharaoh does it again he says call the flies off and i'll let you go and so moses calls the flies off and then pharaoh's grip grows tighter you know sometimes that's how people are with god aren't they that god speaks and god works and god continues to send message after message after message god take this away and i'll change and then as soon as he does the grip on sin the grip on whatever it might be grows tighter what happens here with Pharaoh. The, the grip grows, grows tighter. And, and then in, in number five, the ante is up significantly. Because we find here in chapter nine, a far worse plague strikes. It's the plague of the livestock, where they are struck down in an instance. This is a far more deadly, dangerous plague, because this is getting at the Food system of the country. You know, you can send me flies or fish, flies or gnats, but you mess with my steak, no way. And, and so that's what's happening right here in this passage. But an interesting detail emerges as the first more dangerous plague comes. Look what happens right there. Look what look what look what was taking place. Is that it happens every place across Egypt, except one place, the people of God reside. See that the Egyptians. Are, are struck, the Israelites' livestock are fine. The Israelites' livestock are alive. They're, they're doing okay. They're, they're doing well. And, and Pharaoh s- hears about this, can't believe it. He sends a, a, a messenger to go and spy it out. And some, sure enough, their livestock are alive and ours are dead. Pharaoh, hello. Okay, this is a pretty big deal right here, right? This is pretty stark. This is pretty different. And so in this point right here, Pharaoh hard his heart further and tightened his grip further on God's people. And then comes the next one, which is a little more difficult yet. The Bible says that there were boils that were began to form on the people and, and on the livestock, which is interesting because because the people of God were slaves, what would have happened was when the, the Egyptians saw that their livestock was still good, they went in and stole back their livestock, and so what was still alive from God's blessing was now stolen. That's a message right there, but not for today. But, uh, so so they, they steal these things back, and all of those, including the people of Egypt, had boils forming on their bodies. And not just like a couple little boils, they were covered. And they were so painful, it says, when Pharaoh called his magicians to come in and do tricks to get rid of them, they couldn't even stand because of the pain of the boils. You read this and you think, man, this is difficult. This is tough. Why would a loving God do this? And I want to pause here because Pharaoh is a world-class idiot. Some people, no matter how much God leads them, refuse to listen. And you'd think he'd listen, but he doesn't. What seems, seems profoundly obvious to Pharaoh is not. So here's where I want to insert a deeply theologically deep truth here. Sin makes you stupid. It it, it does. And this is what we, we see happen here in this passage that Pharaoh is being so blinded by his sin, he doesn't see what seems obvious. So it continues. The plagues continue, and now God sends a storm so terrible, so destructive, so awful in its in its nature that it is sent it sends hail and it strikes everything. All the people, all the livestock, all the animals, all everything is struck down and blown with hail. It's like a bomb went off. It's like the North Dakota in the middle of the wintertime. There's just nothing in place. It's, it's all gone. What's fascinating is that that happens everywhere outside of the land of Goshen. Goshen, of course, is where God's people are residing. There, while the, while the, the, the Egyptians are, are under this oppressive storm, they're basking in the sunlight. They're doing things right. Their grass is growing. Their things are working. Their animals are still there. They're unaffected by this. Is that a coincidence? No, when God judges, he spares his people. Imagine the hail damage uh, deals the next day at car shops. It would have been amazing. But So it, he continues here, and, and, and Pharaoh, in verse 27, finally realizes he sinned. Thank you, Pharaoh. I've had enough. So verse 28, he says, plead with the Lord, for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. I'll let you go, and you'll stay no longer. And once again, Pharaoh, when, the th- when it's gone, once it's over, Pharaoh's grip tightens even further again. And then comes the locusts. They they covered the grounds. The Bible says it was like black. They were everywhere. This is disgusting. Imagine the sound. Imagine the the sights of seeing these locusts eating and consuming everything. So what the storm didn't get, uh, the locusts got. The other day I was on the parking lot spraying some, some, uh, some spray out there to kill some weeds, and it got it. Well, guess what? Uh, the next day, some more came back, and I was pretty frustrated. And so I was like, "God sends him, let locusts, Achilles, all these things." But, but, but anyway, you know, that's that's they were it was gone, nothing left, destroyed everything, destroyed a- everything. And, and Pharaoh realizes sin again, and again changes his mind. So then, number nine, there was there was darkness everywhere. Bible says the darkness was everywhere. It was so complete and so so so, so clear that even uh, it was so hard you couldn't see you couldn't see a thing any place anywhere. It was it was oppressively dark, and you can imagine this morning, picture this morning uh, what this could have looked like. When I was on vacation uh, a few weeks back, we went to Missouri, we went to a cave, and in the cave we, we walked walked this cave, and actually a little, a little tram, and, and we got pretty far back, and at one point. The tour guide said, I I want you to see what darkness looks like. And so she said, no phones, no nothing, put them all in your pockets. And she said, we'll turn the lights off and you'll see what darkness is is like. And and I'll tell you, as those lights went off, we're back in that cave. I have never seen darkness as complete and as 100% dark as I did it at that moment. It was oppressive. It was almost heavy. You know, you put your hand right here, you couldn't see it. You know, McKay or Emmy, who is not like the dark, wasn't very happy. You know, but to that point, she was okay. And then it's funny. Every time we went to another, another corner, she said, Daddy, don't let turn the lights off again. And I said, oh, okay, I won't. And they actually did again, which thought it was bad, but but it was it was dark, oppressively dark. But that's what you have happening, but yet again. The detail emerges that in the land of Goshen, in the land of Israel, they had full light there. They had light and, and, and they had it, they saw it where it was dark outside, inside it was light. And you have to know that people from the outside looking in realized, wow, there's something about those people in there. There's something about what God's doing in there. What's happening? What's taking place right here? What's, what's going on? It was dark. It was, it was, it was, it was there, and, 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 and it, was, it was terrible. You think Pharaoh would again get the message. By this point, you read this, you think, man, you, get, you almost get tired of the same thing, don't you? Pharaoh, listen, 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 listen. You know, I wonder if that's how God feels sometimes about us when he's trying to get our attention. Yeah, Pharaoh, it's obvious. Pharaoh, listen. Pharaoh, respond. Pharaoh, do what you have to do, but turn this thing around in your life. And of course, the Bible says that he doesn't. So you find right here, you find that the next plague, which was the worst and the most destructive and the most deadly of all the plagues, this, this next one, uh, plague 10, was the loss of the firstborn. This is a difficult portion of scripture because this, for the first time, you have innocence, truly innocence, that are affected by the foolishness of the nation. Man, this is another preaching point, but we'll not get into that this morning. But, but, but here we go. There, here's the case. And, and once again, though, Israel will be spared by obedience. And, and we're going to get into that next week. But, but, but nobody had to wonder, is this God's judgment Is this what God's doing? No one had to wonder. It was clear what was happening in this place. So I'm going to back out of the story here for uh, the rest of the day today. And I want to share with you four lessons we can glean from this passage. And the first one today is that when God makes commands, don't just listen, but embrace his commands. When God speaks, embrace his commands. I'll be honest, when you you don't do what God has called us to clearly do, when you do that, when you go in a different direction, you put yourself in the position of discipline. When there's a pattern of of disobedience in your life, you risk judgment in that area. Here's a quote I want you to hear this morning. It's this, you have the right to believe anything you want. Your family members do. Your friends do. Your co-workers do. You can believe whatever you want. You have that right. Free country or not, you have the right to believe whatever you want to believe. But just because you believe it doesn't mean that what you believe will give you the life that you want. Just because you believe it doesn't make it the right way to do things. And it seems harsh that disobedience often happens in the areas that are the most vulnerable to us, don't they? And some people would say, God is, if that's what God does, if that's how God's going to be, I don't want anything to do with that kind of a God. If he's that vindicative, if he's that vengeful, if he's that terrible, I don't want him. If that's what your God is, forget you. Because oftentimes it does, if you look. The areas that we 're most susceptible to are the areas where judgment seems to happen in the most difficult, most tough place, and, and many who live like this refuse to hear god 's commands concerning judgment, and so rather than submit to God in turn, you become further entrenched in disobedience and i 've seen this happen as, in my life as a, as a pastor and talking to people it's it's why i believe that people who ignore god's command to forgive who ignore god's command to to walk away from bitterness oftentimes have lives that are re- destroyed by unforgiveness and bitterness you noticed that before people who are so angry and so caught up and so will not forgive tend to be people that forgiveness is so far from them and it is ruining their lives The very thing that they are most broken by is the very thing that destroys them the most. It's why I believe that people who refuse to listen to God on his commands and on his clear clear best practices on relationships and staying pure until marriage and doing things right in your marriage, people that live like that, that refuse to listen to those commands, oftentimes have relationships that are destroyed by the very thing that they're struggling with the most. They say, it's too hard. I can't do it. It's too hard to remain pure. It's too hard to to do the right thing. It's just too hard. You're right, it is. It's hard to do those things. Don't be surprised when God starts to challenge you and starts to let you see that that thing that you are embracing and doing is the very thing that will destroy you. So When it happens, don't be angry at God. Respond and listen to what God says. Why, people who don't live generously with money and they're fine, don't do things as God's called them to do things tend to be the ones that struggle the most with it. My life is a perfect example. There was a time in my life when I did not, I was not a tithing person. I didn't do it. And so guess what? My life was full of frustration, difficulty with finances. When I started, say, okay, God, I'm going to honor you my finances. It's amazing how fit blessing seems to come in a lot deeper and a lot stronger and a lot better way. And I remember I first started tithing. I said, God, I can't afford to do this, but I believe your word on this. I'm going to do it, and God has blessed me richly. And I'm telling many people out there, and that's, that's, not, a, that's not a money grab. I don't, I don't care what you give or you don't give. That's not my, it's not between, it's between me, you and God. What matters more than that is our obedience and our faithfulness to what God's word tells us. God's word shows us. That's why I believe those things. Number two, don't ignore discipline when it comes. Proverbs 3:12 and Hebrews 12:6 shows us that God disciplines those he loves. God's response to disobedience is the same as any good parents. I love my kids. I love them with all my heart. They're gone this week. They're with my wife, they're in Illinois with my mom and my sister visiting. My house is so quiet. My house is so, it's just so, it's just, t- it's crazy. And, and I, I miss them like crazy. I, I, I even miss their loudness and their running around, that kind of stuff. But I'll be honest. When my girls do something wrong, I love them so much, I'm going to discipline them. I, I'm going to. When my girls do something against what I know is the right thing for them to do, I'm not going to say, well, I want to be nice to you. And I don't want, no, I'm going to deal with them on that because I don't want them to do it again. If God is a good, good father who loves with love and who loves us passionately and purposefully, don't you think that good father would operate in a similar way in our lives? It's not an angry thing. It's not a vindictive thing. It's not a thing that says, I can't stand you. I'm going to smite you down. And I'm this God with gray hair and I'm this big guy on this fence or on this, this throne. I got a, a, a lightning bolt in one hand and I got a staff of fire in the other one, and bam, you're wrong. Bam. That's not how God operates. God, a good father, disciplines and chastises, as the word says, those whom he loves. Our response to should to be repentance and obedience. When my girls, when I say, honey, you can't do this. Honey, you can't do that, so you are going to be punished tonight. When one of them says, daddy, I'm sorry, and you're right, I won't do it anymore, I'm going to tell you what, at that point, they could get whatever they want, right? They could do whatever they want. I love that attitude because they're, they're getting it. That's what God wants from us as well. So God, that's how, that's how, how rich God's love is for it. You remember, Moses' secret sauce was that Moses had a teachable spirit. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't flawless. He was a teachable person so that when God disciplines, we'll learn from it and things will get better. We learn to do things as God has called them to be in our lives. Amen? When God says, this is how I want you to live your life, our response is, God, this is why it can't happen. God, our response should be, God, let's do that. Okay, I'll, I'll move. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you say, whatever you want. My heart is in your heart, your hands. God, I'll do it for you. I'll do whatever. When our heart looks like that, we find blessing in our lives. Which brings us to number three. God's people will be blessed during times of judgment. During the plagues, their plants survived, their animals lived. They were basking in the sun when the rest of the country was in darkness. You, you can't overestimate that, that, that part of this passage. That, that that's what was happening in the nation of Israel because God was speaking a message to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, but really throughout the course of human history that obedience leads to blessing. Obedience leads to blessing because obedience puts us under God's protective wings psalm chapter 91 and man, that's a passage that I encourage you to read and study and memorize it's so powerful it's so amazing it's so good I have put this in my heart so often I've needed this passage when tough times come psalm 91 4 says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you'll find refuge his faithfulness will be your shield and ramparts. Amen. Man, that's such a good good truth. There's a qualifier there that you have to chew on later in in verse 9. It says, for you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High. You've made him your dwelling place. I have encountered people whose lives are in ruin. My heart breaks for them. I've encountered people whose lives are absolutely spinning completely backwards, out of control. My heart breaks for them. And guess what? So does God's heart break for them. But I'll tell you this morning that God has given us in his word the truth. And God's given us in his word the proper way to respond. That when we put ourselves under his wings, when we put ourselves in that place, we find ourselves in the place of blessing. Amen? That we may make decisions that are against his His way and against his word. We pull ourselves out of that place. And it's not God demanding. It's not God doing these things. It's that we have put ourselves in the place of losing his blessing. God, help us. We come to the place where we say, that's okay by me. I don't want that to be the case. I want to live as the word says right here. God, put me under the wings of your blessing. Lord, under your feathers. Lord, I want to find refuge. Your faithfulness will be my shield and rampart. This flies in the face of so many things that we believe when we say, it's about me and my rights and my ways and my this and my that. And what's right for me is wrong for you. and Right for, right for you is wrong for me. That, that's, that's, that's foolishness. God's called us to live in a way of of blessing. I'll tell you this morning, in my life, I've, I've seen this take place. I close this morning as the band could come forward, especially if today, if Brenda could play real quietly underneath on the keys this morning. last one today is perhaps the most valuable and most important one for us today because number four, judgment reveals freedom for the faithful. When God God judges, judgment's not the end of the story. When God judges, it's not the final chapter. When God judges, it's the beginning of the final chapter because what judgment does is it reveals freedom for the faithful. Look throughout the scriptures and you'll find the same pattern happen. God is speaking to us. That that in this day and age, in these times, in these seasons, when things seem to be getting so much darker and difficult and frustrating, where our response so oftentimes is that we want to be angry and upset and say the world is falling apart when God is saying, I'm making it darker for you to reveal my, with my laser focus who you are and who I am, and their blessing is found. Blessing is found in the house of the Lord. Amen. Blessing is found there, and when it gets darker out here, the light gets stronger down there. The light shows stronger. That's what happened in the judgment right here. It happened in the plagues. God was laser-focusing the people of God. I'm sorry, it's probably pretty bright. He was showing them, yes, it's dark, but I have laser-focused you. I put you in a place to show that I am God and that what I say is not just what goes, what I say brings blessing. What I say brings peace and love and joy and holiness and a good, good life. God's plan for our lives is freedom from the bondage of sin. Sin destroys. But God's, ple- God's plan for us is not that we have a better car or a bigger house or bigger whatever you want to call it, God's plan for us its freedom. And not just for us who are sitting here this morning. God's plan for us, for them out there, it's the same plan. Church, the world's going to get darker. When the world gets darker, if the, if the church remains brighter and lighter, what's going to happen? How does it work? God was doing this with Israel, Doing this with the people of Egypt. He's done this throughout scripture. He talks about how his, his marvelous light, how we need to walk in his marvelous light. Gee, I mean, light is it's an incredible study in, in the word of God. It's, it always brings us back to the same place. Brings us back to the same spot. God's plan is freedom from the bondage of sin. God will use whatever means necessary to provide that for those who will listen. He's a good father whose love is reflected in John 316 that for God so loved the world that He gave the greatest light the world has ever seen. Amen. It might get dark out there, church. It might be frustrating, it might be difficult. Walk as children of the light. Walk in obedience. Walk in submission to His Word. Walk in a heart for worship. Walk as He's called us to walk in forgiveness, in a generous heart, in walking with with a, with, with with purity and, and and holiness, and and turning away from sin and turning away from those things. God is not there to, to bring vindictive anger upon our hearts. We mess up. God is saying, listen! Listen! I love you too much for this to be the end story of your life. You Listen. I believe that if, if Pharaoh had turned and listened, his, the last story we'd read, the snippet wouldn't be this. It would be different, right? But he wouldn't listen. His grip further tightens. God spoke. That would be the case for us. If you would today, you'd Stand, stand across this room this morning. We're looking around. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our hearts. We're just going to have a time this morning of reflection and response to today to the Lord. And if you're a believer today, I want you to pray if you would. If if you just take some time just to pray and just say, God, what do you want, you want to speak to us this morning? Because today, if you're, sensing, if you're sensing a level of judgment in your life, your response could be, God, I, I'm... I'm angry, I'm frustrated. Lord, take it away from me. And and that's what happened with Pharaoh. Pharaoh continued to say, take it away. And then he did, but Pharaoh didn't learn the lesson. God loves you too much. God cares about you too much to let you stay in the way that you are right now. You're sensing that level of judgment. You got to realize that God's not loving this because He hates you. He is leveling this because He loves you. Because this the way you're living, and you know it's true. This is not—it's not bringing freedom to your life. It's not bringing anything helpful for to your life. It's destroying your life. Amen. You can learn to say, "God, I don't want to walk. I don't want to walk from this moment until I learn what you're trying to speak into me." So, if you're sensing judgment this morning, listen. He loves you. He cares about you. You make sense in, in your life there is difficulty. And you know exactly what it's there for. My encouragement to you today is to say, God, I don't want you to just, whatever, Lord, take this away. Or, Lord, I want to learn from this thing. Lord, I want to learn from what you're speaking in my life. This morning, if, you're, if you realize today you're not walking in the way he's called. You're struggling. I want to encourage you to repent. To turn away from that thing. Repent is an interesting word. Hey, heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Just focus today. Repent is an interesting word. Repent means to turn. Turn your back on something. If I walk up to you and you put your hand out to me and I turn around from you when you're doing that, you'll be offended. Amen? Right? You'll be offended by that. That's what we need to do with sin. Some of us have made friends with sin in our lives. When it's come to us and put its hand out to shake us, We've said, hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Give him high fives. Well, I'm not going to let you in my house, but I'm not turning around, I'm not turning my back on you. You might have an attitude of, of, of indifference, an attitude of whatever it might be. I, I don't know what your think is this morning. Maybe today you have a, an attitude that says, I, I don't need to listen. I don't, I don't care. Whatever it might be this morning. For far too long you've been friends with that sin. My encouragement to you today, the way forward, the way freedom, is to turn your back on that thing. To walk away. I'm not friends with you anymore. Some of you guys need to hear that message. Some of you men have been struggling in porn addiction, struggling in an addiction of looking at women. And you need to say, God, no, I'm not friends with that anymore. I'm turning my back. Some of us today have, had, have made friends with, with, with an attitude that says, I, I'm not going to serve, I'm not going to forgive, or, or whatever it might be. And you've been okay with that for a while. So why can't I move forward ever? You haven't turned. And lastly today, if you know someone who is struggling with this, I want to encourage you to let God not have your attitude be, Lord, I can't wait till you send a fire from heaven on them and strike them down. They need to learn their lesson. That's not up to us. That's, that's up to God. Our response needs to be God, lead them, protect them, minister in them, open their hearts, open their minds, open their lives to you, Jesus. I don't want them to, 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 to suffer under a heavy burden of of judgment. I want them to find freedom in you.